part one chapter eight of if all these young men by romer wilson this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part one berkshire chapter eight the moon the fire burned brightly in the little drawing-room where mrs sharp sat playing patience surrounded by her children the firelight gleamed upon the furniture upon the three writing-tables belonging to charlotte horatia and everett each smaller than the other like those of the three bears according to their precedence in the house the drawing-room in keeping with the rest of the house was buff and white with long white carved windows that to-night framed the bright blue evening upon the walls hung several pictures two small war scenes of the days of the spanish occupation in which were depicted every cruelty and brutal vice reported to belong to soldiery another of flemish twin girls life-sized swaddled in a thousand garments laid asleep in a gold and silver scallop shell adorned with cupids one of a wooden little spanish prince in a red surtout holding cherries in his hand there was a diminishing glass between the battle-pieces and a long gilt mirror over the fireplace upon the mantel-shelf was a lovely box of venetian glass ornamented with gilt fastenings and josephine stared at it from her seat in a corner of the couch where she sat drowned in melancholy listening to the eternal talk around the eternal fire and thinking that here surely all after-dinner conversations were made presently the day came back to her why did i weep thought josephine and why did charlotte flush the deep red of divine wrath why did we quarrel this morning and why did i not go away at once that morning charlotte and she had disclosed themselves red and raw before each other's eyes and laid bare their foundations bah she cried to herself now they dare not have deep feelings or else they have not got any that night she had nothing to talk about but the war and they had everything else in the world as topics for conversation therefore she had not said a word to them for several hours nor did they address a word to her her anger was not yet calm the after-feelings of her rage still rose in her her blood was not gone back yet to its ordinary course she was not clear now what had opened the fountain of her wrath she could recollect cursing susan because susan affected to find the german advance merely inconvenient she could recollect charlotte springing into the garden room in which they were sitting and crying what are you damning susan for with the tigerish anger of a sister and she answered god she reads the paris fashion column only and never looks at the news damn you all you'll not lay aside one opinion or one silly intellectual dogma or your social fear of the nerves or your conscience or your beastly clyde strikers or the quarrels of the damnable democracy you are all so wild about nor move an inch out of your customary way for england's sake she knew she was being a fool but she found it impossible to say anything else one of them would have laughed if the three of them had not been consumed with rage bah she had cried going on you'll protect your own nerves in the middle of the paroxysm of humanity and you don't care as long as none of you feel sick and none of you have a headache in her rage she knew she was unjust to-night as she sat on the couch alone in the family opposed to her she was more lonely than it is possible to imagine as lonely as those men whose kingdom was not england but peace and who suffered in prison for their convictions she longed as she sat there for companionship but knew that nowhere could she find it every mind was gone away to the war and was united in the struggle in france leaving behind empty bodies to-morrow and yesterday her heart was with the ordinary people 
she was a socialist of socialists and a democrat to excess but on this to-day she was nothing but a part of her loved england mad for england as she could be and the passion of her feelings came over her now so that she became for a moment faint presently she recovered herself but the world looked strange as if she had come back from the dead the five people in the room were too substantial and too real as compared with what she found herself was she among them or not did she love susan or not could she hear their voices or was the sound of their conversation a nameless noise in the sapphire blue of heaven she gazed out of the window at the sky and then suddenly forces moved in her and getting up she said may i write horatia answered sit at my table and smiled in that way which showed her whole charm as usual she had been sewing but now she took off her horn spectacles and one could see the expression in her eyes which caused people to have fancies about her how sane and kind the sharps were they had forgiven her her bad part in the quarrel already and she ought to have forgiven them theirs dear josephine said mrs sharp you are very tired i fear won't you go to bed my dear after you have written your letter oh no thank you mrs sharp she answered i am quite well i fear we are a very tiring family mrs sharp replied as if apologizing for the talk they all thought that she knew nothing about the quarrel but in all probability they were wrong she knew a great deal more than any of them suspected she continued now to play patience and smiled as she concluded i always think dear josephine our guests must find us a little trying we have so much to talk about you see we are a very large family and we do not all meet so very often josephine stood up politely during this monologue she had the feelings of a young man towards mrs sharp deferential and gallant yet there was none of the sentimental old lady about mrs sharp indeed one did not think of her as old now josephine was liberated from the necessity for good manners which had restored her for a moment to the ordinary world sit at my table won't you said horatia i think there is a pen in the left-hand drawer in a minute they had gone back to their talk and josephine was alone again in her own world she sat down and began to write a long sentimental letter to sebastian beginning darling sebastian and at the end sat gazing out of the window into the dark garden that the approaching moonrise had already made less dark she had expressed all manner of brotherly feelings in the letter after five minutes she tore it up whereupon reading it again the feelings seemed less brotherly and more what they actually were mere sentimentalities addressed to a vague young man in a little time she rose and went out into the garden through the garden room it was colder to-night than it had been for some time but it was fine she went down the terrace steps into the rose garden where the yew hedges stood up like walls high and dark and sauntered down the wide path out into the orchard where the plum blossom gleamed on the bough and the almond trees stood in flower the lovely moon was now creeping up from behind old hall wood large and red in the steam from the wet earth and soon the marsh was filled with whiteness where the moon's light fell upon the rank ground mists over the stream she walked up and down the grass path in the orchard and thought sentimentally again about sebastian and as is common to one in a tired frame of mind half dreamed about him and constructed a romance between himself and her josephine's greater emotions were now completely exhausted and she fell back into the world of individuals she would have liked to hear a waltz-time tune floating sweetly out of the house and love seemed to be the only beauty and honesty the only virtue there was unfortunately only one person in the world with whom she was ever completely honest 
and that was neither susan nor sebastian this man came back to her mind as she watched the red large moon which he resembled and she thought of him now as the creature she preferred in all the world because she found it possible to be honest with him he did not like her he hated her honesty he thought her coarse and hysterical and she knew it but when he came into her mind sebastian went out of it as the stars go out when the red moon rises or the moon when the red sun comes up at break of day she stood still a minute and laughed quite fearlessly and sweetly she could at any rate in secret live a life of perfect honesty and beauty fine feeling and delight with mr blanchard's ghost just as she could have a secret not unsentimental romance with the ghost of sebastian james blanchard was not hers he belonged rather to susan but the notion of her charming innocence carried her away into a country of pure delight where youth sang elizabethan ditties where passion brutality and sordid realism did not exist james blanchard might marry susan or a pretty girl in society or he might find his great friend amaryllis necessary to him in dreamland where sweet love is only self-adornment where the blissful offerings are to oneself and not to the beloved where shine amid rare delight and azure skies immaturity and immortal boy and girlishness what are a thousand wives or none in that far country of green fields sublime contempt for sorrow springs in the words if hate is greater love then will i hate nothing is asked of the youthful god the virgin as beautiful as the day dies upon the gilt altar of self-annihilation and the will of the adored and makes a sacrificial day not in the calendar of feasts a lovely throwing away of life in the reckless foolery of a poetic moment josephine herself enacted alone down in the orchard the sweet classic myth of divine silliness which when the hero is at hand leads so many mortal girls to ruin end of part one recording by expatriate in bangor maine